Hey everyone, before we get started this week, I need to have another pronunciation disclaimer a la our first Tamara Pierce episode and the way that I discovered that we were fools mispronouncing the author's name is the very same website that shamed me with Tamara Pierce, teachingbooks.net, which you'd think I'd get in the habit of just checking before we start recording, but no, I like to keep things interesting. So because it's too charming to not just play in full, here is a quick message from the author of this episode's book describing how you pronounce his name. Hello, my name is Brian Jakes. When I go to America, people fondly call me Mr. Jack Hughes or Jack Wes, or even people who think they can speak French say, hey, it's pronounced Jock. It's an old French name, Jakes, J-A-C-Q-U-E-S. And Brian, of course, is a Celtic name, which means the strong one. That's good, isn't it? Now, always remember this. The name is Brian Jakes. And as we say, Jakes, as in cakes. And oh, for goodness sakes. Welcome to Dragon Babies. Welcome. I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. And this week, we are discussing Redwall. Redwall. By Brian Jacques. 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 Squeak, squeak. <laughs> Jacques. Ah, okay, we were just trying to figure out if we needed any pronunciation help, but we were only thinking about the characters, not about oh, the author's really name. We did. Um, that's fine. So Redwall is the first book in a series of... 22 novels and then two um, like illustrated picture books. There's a lot of books. A lot of books. Redwall was released in 1986 um, and it kicks off the entire Redwall franchise and all its glory. Um, before I do any you know, broad summarizing, Madeline, would you like to spearhead our book cover discussion and book jacket analysis <laughs> we're yes. so professional <laughs> and organized today redwall in the glorious tradition of watership down comes a powerful tale of fantasy courage and epic adventure the heart-soaring story of a wondrous quest to recover a legendary lost weapon and of a bumbling young apprentice monk named matthias mousekind's most unlikely hero War erupts in the summer of the late rose, shattering the peace that had reigned in Mossflowers since the magnificent mouse Martin the Warrior laid down his mighty sword generations earlier. Now, a dark cloud of doom and despair hangs over the ancient stone abbey of Redwall. Clooney the Scourge, the one-eyed embodiment of evil, the most savage bilge rat that ever jumped from ship to shore, has arrived with his rodent horde to conquer and to destroy. Is that the end? Yes. Wow, that's a good book jacket. <laughs> yeah, that's really good. <laughs> I want to read that book. It's my favorite one so far, I think. We'll also quickly describe our childhood version of the book. Um, this is one that we've held on to. I've had this since I was a kid, and I've seen so many different versions is, of the Is ours like a first edition? Or? No, it's not anything okay. fancy like that. Um, it's definitely one of the older editions. But it was special to us. It was well, special, special to Grace. Us. I just read it for the first time. <laughs> I couldn't. Less. You couldn't give a wit. It looks nice, though. 
Um, yeah, I love this cover. It's one of my favorites that I've seen. It has what I always thought of as kind of a stained glass effect. Um, there's a smaller portrait of Clooney in his war regalia in the upper right corner. And then Matthias is in the lower right corner. And there's a big, beautiful um, piece of script that is the opening line of the story. It makes me think of an illuminated manuscript, like that style yeah. of art on the cover. It's And it works perfectly with the story. It goes really well. Yeah, exactly. It's such a good marriage of mm-hmm. visuals to the actual content of the book, which in this segment that we've been doing where we, you know, critique the book covers we don't often come to that conclusion that we thought they did a good job so yeah no I really like this book cover um I have the moss Matthias looks so cute too I know Matthias Matthias looks um more mouse-like than I always picture him I always think of him more as like a I mean not as a human but not having like a chubby little mouse tummy um, oh, and you mean like the animated kids in Arthur? How they oh my had god! Like- no, no <laughs> not like that. No, I, I I picture him as a mouse, but just not looking quite like such a like fun oh. little. Just no, I was picturing them exactly. The most experience I have with mice is when even Clooney looks like fairly cute on the cover. They didn't make him look like a big, oh, I was disgusting him as being like nasty. rat in the way that I thought they could. My experience with mice is when they come in the house at my mom's house in Chicago and then the cats would catch them so we'd have to like get them away from the cats half dead and put a Tupperware on them and then go put them in the yard so that they could find their way back into the basement from there. And that's they like they were the adorable, soft little tiny brown mice, and that's what I imagine all the mice in this as, with cream tummies. Okay, yeah, I was wondering how you were going to come full circle there because you were describing like these horrific acts against mice, and I was mice. like, you just said you thought they were really cute. Uh, is this cute to you? Do we no, need because we catch them, and then we could never bear to you know kill them or anything mm-hmm. even if they were had been caught by cats and were mm-hmm. like limping so we would just put yeah. them outside and of course they're coming back into the house anyways well yeah i i mean i i get that cute look i think that i probably was really influenced by the beatrix potter stories um because i was obsessed with those and they were illustrated and they were illustrated yeah, okay. and there were mice in those um those mice looked more realistic than okay. the ones on the um, Breadwall book covers um they were for the most part really yeah just like true to life drawings but then they had you know clothes and just like we're holding tiny Brooms. cherry pies and things <laughs> like that naturally i love beatrix potter and cherry pies <laughs> probably my favorite mouse based media so each book this is the only book that i've ever read of the Redwall series, but from what I understand, each book has a different protagonist, or at least like there's groups of ones with the same protagonist, but like it goes on to be Matthias's son or like in the past. So it it really is a way that delves a lot into myth- the mythology because it's not always the same person. Yeah, and that's I think one reason why this series was wildly popular. Um, because even if there wasn't a you know villain protagonist, you know, 
protagonist, antagonist pairing that you loved, like just go to the next book Mm -hmm. and there'll be something in it for Mm -hmm. everyone. Not that there are going to be any protagonists you don't like. Um, Once the, I really like the otter books a lot. Otters Uh, are the cutest. Yeah. And when they're um, like out sailing around and stuff, Pearls of Lutra is a favorite. Uh, Mossflower is the book that immediate, that was published after Redwall, but it's actually a prequel and goes into like the story of Martin. So you get that backstory Uh, immediately. Which okay. I feel like is really smart to, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, in Redwall, you're sh- Brian Jacques is showing everyone this magical world and getting you entranced by it. And then it's like, but it's even more deep and meaningful than you could ever imagine. Like, mm-hmm. enter Martin the Warrior. <laughs> um, yeah, so that is one of the unique aspects of the Redwall series, I would say, as compared to others. And um, there's so many of them. So, like, mm-hmm. this stuff gets so deep. So, as we usually do, I will quickly spoil the book. Um, There are basically two parallel storylines that run uh, throughout throughout Redwall, Um, and sometimes they intersect, uh, but for the most part, the the two main forces of action are are taking place separately. Um, So, on the one side, we have... Clooney the Scourge, who is an evil bilge rat, who is a roving warlord, and he comes to Redwall Abbey and decides that he's going to conquer it. So throughout the whole book, pretty much, he and his forces are attacking Redwall and trying to take over. Um, In the end, they almost almost succeed. They come frighteningly close. Yeah, I mean, they do capture they it. They do technically they, capture before it. Before they're about to start executing people. The other part of the storyline comes back yeah. in, mm-hmm. um, who is Matthias, who is a mysterious orphan mouse, who is a would-be warrior. This is really the first time he gets to prove himself this book, and prove himself he does. He does he the Gandalf on the top of the hill at Helmsteep, riding yes, down does. with the Rohirrim deal. Except he is backed by an army of shrews and sparrows, yes. so maybe but, better than the Rohirrim. But beautiful <laughs> music plays sure. nonetheless. Yeah. So throughout the book, Matthias, Matthias is trying to find the fabled sword of Martin the warrior, who was a warrior of old, um, who was Redwall's champion. But nobody knows where he's buried. He's buried, and they don't know where his personal effects are. So his sword and scabbard and shield, um, the all of the abbey feels that having those items is really going to help them win this war. And the funny thing is they do... They are really more um, of a symbolic, they're they're symbolically meaningful. I mean, it is good that Martin, that Matthias has a powerful sword in the end to fight Clooney with, but I think so much of it reminded me of like the, you know, magic juice from Space Jam. (laughs) (laughs) Space Jam parallels. Where all the characters are given water to drink, but told that it's Michael's secrets or Michael's special stuff or something like that. I don't remember. Okay, this was a foolish <laughs> tangent for me to go off on. My but, boyfriend would know. Um, he loves yeah, and, you know, light is always glinting off the sword and Clooney is driven mad by the sight of Mar- Matthias. I keep calling him Martin because Which is funny. he thinks he's Martin. Yeah, that he was, thinks it's like he's a reincarnation, like the way yeah. that... Link is in Legend of Zelda. There's a piece of tapestry that has Martin prominently featured on it, and Clooney's obsessed with the tapestry, and he thinks that if he can control that power, that like yearning for a warrior figure, that he can just 
destroy everyone yeah. in the Abbey, basically take away their pride. And Run take train away on their, mouse freedoms. Yeah, exactly. Um, and in a lot of ways, like the, the symbolic nature of Martin is the like one of the most important forces in the story. Um, and everything does sync up nicely so that once Matthias has basically become one with Martin, he can destroy Clooney. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, which he does because he finds the sword and he doesn't. And he gets into a whole bunch of adventures along the way. Which yeah, helped. he's always just popping off to do other stuff and everyone else is like, I'm sure he's being helpful, but he's not here. Yeah, and <laughs> there, I mean, there are also amazing moments where like, oh, Matthias was gravely injured. He's supposed to be in his sickbed. He's been gone yeah. for three days. Uh-huh. He's got some um, healing potions plus ten or something. Who knows what's I know that's happening. not how healing potions work. Don't call me out. <laughs> <laughs> the nerdiest argument <laughs> Um, But even while Matthias is gone, there are other important warrior figures at Redwall. Even though it's an abbey and they are supposed to be peaceful, they're they're ready to... They're ready and willing. They're ready and willing to fight. Yeah, Um, unlike the abbot who's always just like, we can't hurt a fly. Yeah. Um, yes, so that those forces are led for the most part by Constance, who is the badass lady of the book. For sure, in addition to Warbeak. Yes, um, we've got Warbeak, we've got Jess Squirrel, um, but, and then there's Cornflower, who we'll talk more about later because we have some issues with her. But back to Constance. Um, but back to Constance. She is Constance super is awesome. Cool. Um, she's just by nature of being a badger, she is significantly larger than I would say any other creature in the book. There, there is an owl and a cat, and then Asmodeus is, um, a, you know, an adder. But um, adders are very thin and just a few feet long. Which Badgers weigh twenty five. <laughs> though they are large creatures yeah if you're wondering why we're being so awkward about this is since we did some quick googling of various animal weights and lifespans and sizes and things because actually this is something else that i forgot i wanted to discuss Uh but um the timeline in these books is confusing because mice only live a few years yeah and i kind of interpreted that they were working that into the story I think that, that their short I think life Brian stands. Jacques did yeah. because in the epilogue it feels like Cornflower and Matthias already have had like a, a married life, mm-hmm. and that is exactly one year later. Yeah, and point. their little and kid child. is already like running um, around and doing stuff. So. Yeah, I mean, I think that, I feel like he I kind of hybrided for, it. No, yeah, I think that these mice definitely live longer than actual mice. Maybe um, more like ten years, but they don't live the. But as they don't live humans, yeah. 60 plus. No. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely not. Um, sparrows also, I had even more of a concern about because they have even shorter lifespans than mice. Oh, I didn't um, realize that. But that would also help explain why the sparrow kingdom is so volatile yeah. and power changes hands so mm-hmm. frequently. Um, anyway, yeah, Constance is great. She's a giant badger. She's big. Badgers um, are huge and mean. Badgers, badgers will mess amazing. you up. She does things like pick up evil rats and spin them over her head by their tails and then let them go so that they smash into trees and die. Yep, like she basically shot puts mm-hmm. them. Yeah. And every time any evil character sees her, they just like, ah. 
Yeah, they're always like shaking their tiny fists at her. And the thing is, she's basically like a tank. When she was so mean to, um, is it Chicken Thief? The I think it's Chicken Sun Hound. Fox or Chicken Hound. Um, I think I'm mixing up Cheese Thief and and Chicken yeah, Hound. Chicken um, Hound. Apologies, there are so many character names yeah. in this book. It's a lot of characters. Um, and in all Red Wall books. And then they just grow and grow exponentially as you keep breeding them all, and then it's just a mess. But she is so cruel to this little fox who comes to try to, um, well... With good reason. Then he kills them. He kills Methuselah, I know. But at first, I was like, God, Constance, really? You gotta be like that all the time? You can't just be a nice badger every once in a while? But the thing is, it was all, you know, merited in the end. But she can't know that. I think that she was just being protective. Like, Mm -hmm. she's being protective in a smart way because she's big mama badger or big parental figure badger, and she's also, like, ready to take anyone to task who's going to mess with her friends. And she just knew that the fox was... Also, in this universe, foxes, like, there's a weird speciesism thing going on against foxes. Like, they're portrayed as, like, just straight up totally self-interested like, like the worst creatures around and, and yeah. not just self-interested but actively hoping to trick everyone around them yeah and, like cause uh, they don't care when their mom gets crushed to death or no she gets like stabbed to death yeah, on top speared. of them and then they just run away like yeah. yeah chicken hound is a loser so i think she could just smell it on him This book is definitely one of the the most violent in terms of how consistent the violence is. Like mm-hmm. other books have battles or violent parts, but this one there's constantly things dying in really brutal ways. Um, but despite that, throughout the entire book, I couldn't throughout. help throughout the entire book, I couldn't help always just being so charmed by how cute all of the characters like picturing them with their little mouse bodies or like you know like I said badgers are mean but they are like cute looking like they're cute to look at and would be cute to pet if they wouldn't give you rabies for touching them well and that's the charm of the red wall series these really upsetting things can happen in terms of the action the many deaths um Mm -hmm. the gruesome descriptions of many of those deaths Mm -hmm. But it's happening to furry, tiny creatures that we love to anthropomorphize. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're all wearing, like, tiny habits. And, and drinking out of acorn caps and, um, like, eating tiny pies. I know. So many tiny the pies. The tiniest pies. So many tiny quinces. Kinks. Kinks. <laughs> I kept thinking this as I was reading it. I was like, this could be done with humans and mm-hmm. still be an interesting story of, like, you know, epic battle mm-hmm. and like, you know, a fantastical lost sword and all this, but making everyone animal creatures and just like putting them together in different combinations or seeing like how, like the different powers basically that they have because they're animals and they have wings or they're, you know, can tunnel or mm-hmm. they're a giant strong badger that's way bigger than anyone else. Like it's just so much more interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's it creates a world where their bodies determine what it is that they do mm-hmm. as opposed to humans' um, present-day society where mm-hmm. we can, you know, some of us can uh, 
choose what we're going to specialize in, like mm-hmm. what we're going to learn about, what we're yeah. going to become an expert at. Um, yeah, but they're already uh, divided into their specialized crews. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, it's really cool to go from spending so much time in the Abbey with the ground dwellers then to the Sparrow Kingdom, mm-hmm. which is also in the Abbey, but it's in the rafters of the church, so no one can re- reach it. And um, then to move into the forest, and right. there's, like, the forest creatures. Yeah. Okay, so we were going to start talking about the horse. We should go to the horse. And this also connects to something else I wanted to bring up. Yeah. Um, actually, I wanted to go even further back and just mention that the other warriors I had in mind um, are... Uh, Basil, the stag hare. Rabbit, yeah. um, Who is an old military man, which is never really explained. Never made sense to me Um, very much. And at first I thought that he was just uh, like affected and he was pretending that he had had these experiences. But then we meet other, um, you know, creatures from his past who are also in the, have military ranks. I kind of explained it to myself. They're like a collection of creatures who all are kind of like military minded and they kind mm. of, I've, it seems like a self-organized kind of system mm-hmm. to me, not like given by any higher authority or anything because there's no like unified animal army. No. Or I mean, it, it's, it's such um, anarchy in a lot of ways. Yeah. This, this was the bigger thing I wanted to talk about related to the horse, like governing laws of this world are very um, perplexing because so, man, there's so much I have to say. It is a mouse and rodent and animal, you know, just in general world. There aren't humans. There aren't humans and the mammals are the ones who seem most and much more than any other creature is capable of creating tools Mm -hmm. and are civilized. Like Mm -hmm. the sparrows are, I kept thinking like, oh, this seems a little um, racist. And I was like, oh, right, they're sparrows. I know. (laughs) I think it's also because of the, I don't know, the language that they speak. Their language kind of is is just like pigeon pigeon English. English. Yeah, Yeah, which is why I wasn't um, super comfortable with that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but... um, Um, But but it it also, the thing is, it it feels so different because the different creatures do have different, like, mental capacities. Yes, Um, which is, I mean, mammals are a lot smarter than birds. mm -hmm. Yeah. In general. Yeah. But also, and like the reptilian you know, brain of a snake is even are, lower down the intelligence scale. Yeah, I mean, obviously these are anthropomorphized animals. They have they live within a human society without there being any humans. We make assumptions about things, like when they talk about cheese. At first, I was thinking it was dairy, but it's probably actually vegan nut based cheese. And we'll talk about this during pretend food. Vegan nut-based cheese. Yeah, let's save it for pretend food. Pretend <laughs> food is coming. You can't wait. I can't wait. We're going to get hungry. That's its theme now. <laughs> it's just the teaser theme, too. It's not even time. This is... I had to tell myself this, otherwise I was going to be too thrown. Um, because their structures are human-sized. The buildings that they live in, there was a cart attached to a horse that all of the rats were in the cart. 
human size. Well, the Abbey isn't human size. I think it is. It's not. But then, but then how could there be so much room up in the roof for an entire sparrow? It's still just a, you know, a giant church. Like it's their, it's their Abbey's religious center. Like Um, the furniture and stuff is mouse sized. Yeah. But think about like them fighting over the ramparts and like the way that they talk about moving through the space. Like it's not human size. I guess I just, I just envisioned the whole thing like that. I guess it would make sense if the Abbey was not human size. I don't know. But especially when it talked about Martin uh, Matthias climbing up into the Abbey, like it talked about like him having to climb up a door molding that sounded massive. It sounded huge. I mean, you guys can let us know. If, what, what do you think? If, yeah. Yeah. If there is. Because I'm sure once I decided it felt this. like. Um, and the thing is. I, I've never read all of the Redwall books. I've read a lot of them, but it was when I was young and I, I don't remember. Okay. Before Um, we involve the interweb and research. I was just, yeah, I was just quickly looking at something. I wanted to say. Of course, in the top five results is an article from the toast, a very important question about Redwall. (laughs) (laughs) I miss the toast. Um, (laughs) This is the only Redwall book I've ever read. That's Mm -hmm. why I wanted to read it because Mm -hmm. I was like, I knew that Grace really loved them when we were young and I wanted to experience it. And I loved it. I really enjoyed reading this book. Yeah. Um, But really quickly in the beginning, I decided to myself, I was like, okay, in order to just put this question to rest for myself, I'm just going to say that humans existed in this world. There was some kind of disease, something relatively non-destructive to the earth and its environments that killed off all the humans. And there are vestiges of the humans, but the animals have taken over. Because I, I think that's just wrong. Okay. <laughs> that's how no, I yeah, I'm not saying, chose yeah, I'm to sorry. interpret it. I'm not trying to be negative about what you're saying because it also seemed to me that the church where the church mice lived was human size it seemed to me that the barn was human size there was a horse attached to a cart yeah the horse attached to the cart is weird but it doesn't specify anything about the cart and it makes sense but it says that hundreds of rats were on it yeah and it said i mean I, i think it's a big cart but like think about I don't know. Think and it wasn't about the their other, horse. The other animals that we don't see that probably live in the woods. Like, what about bigger creatures? I, I kind guess. of assumed that it's a situation where, like, they have very little to do with the other creatures if they're so far. It's like ants don't have anything to do with, I don't know. They eat ants. Whales. I mean, the sparrows eat ants. Right. But <laughs> I'm sorry, you're making a... <laughs> right, but that's... I thought you were talking about but ants that's ex- But that's exactly that mm-hmm. um, they, don't, they don't have relationships with them. They mm-hmm. don't care about each other's communities because yeah. they're too far apart in the intelligence. Like it said yeah. that at the end that he was training bees, right. that someone was training bees, like, because right. they're bugs, they're just insects, like they're trainable, but they're not like, right. And it makes sense that they would be able to work with bees on some level as opposed mm-hmm. to like, I guess they should theoretically be able to train bees or ants, but then there aren't really many other insects that you would be able to 
I think more of the hiving do that with. Yeah, yeah bugs exactly. would, are more intelligent. Yeah. yeah. But anyways, so that's why I kind of thought that like, oh, well, that's why like the horse doesn't mm-hmm. really like want to hang out with them or mm-hmm. like, you know, there aren't like bears or anything because they're just too far apart mm-hmm. on the scale mm-hmm. of like, I don't know, intelligence community. Again, only Redwall book I've ever read. Everything I'm, I'm saying could be totally contradicted in other books or like wrong, but that's how... I interpreted my well, experience during this one book. Yeah, no, I think that's valuable to hear because it it helps me see what impressions just this single book gives off. Um, mm-hmm. Because we have a ton of questions at the end of the first book that clearly were meant to have because um, Brian Schock went on to write 21 others. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're all really great. Um, but there are books where they like sail across oceans mm-hmm. um, where they really, the main characters go out and really explore the world. Here's what and, else. And it is only animals. When they talked about um, all the different kinds of rats, mm-hmm. they were all, all of the types were dependent on human activities. Clooney was a bilge rat. Yeah, I know. But I think it's just the framing structure for us to understand it. I know, but that also sent me down that path. Because if we go too far in that direction, that it's like, well, how do they know to, like, call this a spoon? And you know what I mean? Like, well, I mean, then you're dictating. getting into, like, language and everything. Yeah. But, like, obviously this book is written in common tongue, <laughs> which we can understand. Yeah. Um, but anyways, that also sent me off right away because the rats at the beginning, it classifies, like, a bunch of different kinds of mm-hmm. rats, like cellar rats, bilge rats, uh, you know, um, Anyways, this is really esoteric and not relating to what actually happens in the book at all. So we should move on. No, it's okay. There's some, well, there's something else I wanted to say, which is kind of discussing. I feel like, okay, revisiting this, I've actually been reading a few books about mice societies lately. Because I've been rereading the Time Stops for No Mouse series. Oh, I love that book. Yeah. Um, Or that series. And, uh, I feel like when it comes to books about mice specifically as, um, you know, main characters, Mm -hmm. there are two approaches. And one is the, like, very genial, um, civilized, comfort-loving mouse living in a mouse society that is structured like a human society. Mm -hmm. So fantasy. Yeah, fantasy. Full-on fantasy. And then there is the terrified struggling to survive um like beset by terrors at every angle because they're a mouse (laughs) right mouse living in a world with humans yeah and even uh, if they don't interact with humans in those books they're all um you know scared of like owls and hawks and yeah yeah, Uh even rats Uh i guess i was thinking about um i was thinking about an interesting book that i feel like kind of lives in the middle which is mrs frisbee and the rats of nim um, I don't remember I don't know that if you book. Remember I, it I read it, but I don't remember it. Um, what? But oh, but I did just hear. Are they like remaking it or something? Not remaking, adapting. I think, they're rewriting the book. No, I think so because I just heard like a little blurb about it on like a podcast I was listening to or something. It was really random that they were like science experiment rats and then like they escape or something. Yeah, it's actually it's one of Josiah's favorite. We books. should have Josiah on for a guest episode. He would hate that. that. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't see anything about it, but I'll, I'll, I'll check. Um, 
Anyway, yeah. Can, that you, can you hear my cats crying? They're whatever. really upset that they're angry because we're in here talking about mice <laughs> with the door closed. <laughs> I actually, as I've been reading this, have been looking at my cat a little differently, just because she. I feel I've been thinking of her as a predator. And when I was finishing it this morning, she was laying in bed next to me and trying to get me to feed her, and I just looked at her and thought about how giant she is and how compared to a mouse, quickly yeah. she would just destroy a mouse. Yeah. Um, although I love that the one cat. I knew, like I knew a, like, yeah, that you know that a cat's gonna me. show up at some point, but yeah, yeah he um, is a uh, he doesn't eat red meat, yeah, he eats He's fish quiet. and berries. And no, roots. when he first showed up, it said like it was a scary situation, that's his name, yeah. right? Because he's ginger, but I immediately was like that cat's not going to be a bad guy because there was a cliffhanger, but what it right. says There's before it shifts away Matthias is into his mouth. Matthias fell into the mouth of an enormous marmalade cat, marmalade. and I was like, marmalade. <laughs> That's not a bad guy. Oh, um, although Which I love. That's so charming. Marmalade I, oh, cat. I know. And the um, marmalade and uh, the owl, um, Captain Snow, that's his name, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, had they're bros. They, they were like and then they had a falling out. Long time friends, but then they had a fight. But uh, Matthias forced them to apologize to each other. Yes. <laughs> it was part of his terms for killing a terrifying snake. Yeah, we haven't the snake even, is really scary. We haven't even mentioned Asmodeus. Asmodeus is literally the name of a biblical demon. Yeah, he's. Um, and the snake really lives up to that. He's an adder. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he's poisonous. So he's another layer of danger on top of this world. And the thing is, okay, just to kind of sum up this really freewheeling discussion about mouse worlds and people worlds. And like rules. um, Yeah, societal rules. Because there aren't a lot. Uh, I mean, there are a lot, but they're all like kind of. They're in like their own mini communities. And actually, okay. Because the animals eat each other and that's part of living. So it's hard to have, you know, rules that are for all because there's no such thing as the common good. And and if we really got into a discussion of like doing the research and figuring out which creatures should be smarter than the others and therefore which ones should be more human-like, mm. it would, I mean, it would be a lot of work. It would be interesting if anyone else, if anyone Looking out there has Looking for a like, thesis? Oh. <laughs> topic? Anyone in, in literature? Children's literature. Yeah. Really, um, yeah. Anyway, if that kind of research has been even casually done definitely point us in that direction love to read that um but yeah it just it gets it gets really complicated because clearly you know you have to take some liberties here and there and because the mice are painted as inherently peaceful rats are painted as inherently evil it's interesting the species yeah different species have different approaches rats yeah, foxes seem to be like pretty bad. Although we only oh my meet God. one. The family way the foxes, foxes were characterized was ridiculous. Yeah. There's my ridiculous number two. <laughs> um, just so clearly uh, deceitful. Yeah, like at sneaky. every turn, literally, a fox turns a corner and immediately begins sniggering about yeah. like all the horrible yeah. things they're gonna do uh-huh. to that person who thinks they For have sure. an agreement with them. Um, yeah. So the but you know that's consistent with with folk tales that the fox is Mm -hmm. a trickster yeah um yeah but i don't know i i wasn't sure how i felt about the fact that the different um animals had morality attached to them just based on what kind of creature they were for sure Um, which 
could, you know, take a really interesting whole discussion about the roles within which you're raised and how that makes you so much more likely to end yeah. up fulfilling them. Yeah, nature versus nurture. And- but also, these are different species of animals. So it's not like talking about different races of humans. Oh, no, yeah, there's, no, oh, of course not. Like there's evolution. There are actually the kind of that's evolutionary I, difference. Right, that's that, why I brought up their intelligence. Right, yeah, um, and of then course. A, and then just beyond that, the ways that these different types of creatures typically survive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, in, you know, our human world. Uh, although I, you know, maybe we need to create a pretend uh, red wall and moss flower and we'll just put all the animals in it and give them everything they need and then just see what happens. <laughs> oh, you mean like a, in a tank? <laughs> I had no idea. I thought you were talking like a video game or something. It's like, nope, no, I mean a real mean life collecting these you know, animals. simulation. Yeah. I think the snake would eat everything within right. a week. If you week. put in the badger and the snake, <laughs> yeah. things are going to get really bad. <laughs> yeah. It's not going to be good. Um, also, but I don't want to get a poisonous snake up in here. Well, okay. The last thing I've, I promise the last thing about this, God, everyone listening is just like, what is this? <laughs> Can you please just talk about the book? Um, but I think it's, you know, a testament to Redwall that it's, you know, stimulating these conversations. Yeah. This book definitely made me, even though it's an epic tale of adventure and battles and bravery and et cetera, quest, et cetera. Like a pretty, in a lot of ways, it is a straightforward plot structure. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's um, very unique. It made me think a lot mm-hmm. about a lot of different things, like some of the... The human stuff that Mm -hmm. we were talking about, I kept having to think about that um, and just the way that the different animals relate to each other and their Mm -hmm. different power structures. Um, And yeah, it was just a very cerebral experience for me. Well, it is. And it also makes use of an interesting uh, narrative device by switching between different perspectives. Um, That in itself is not necessarily a unique narrative device, but it switches from the good guys to the bad guys really consistently. Like almost every other chapter. Yeah, it puts you into a lot of the bad guys stuff. To Matthias or Constance or, um, you know, the someone in the Abbey. Even um, though there's not anything redeeming about what's going on with the bad guys. Like there's no like, you know, multiple sides fighting for mm-hmm. like the bad guys are totally self-interested, want to kill everybody. And the mice are like the, you know, civilization basically that's going to be wiped out and they have to persevere to protect themselves and their loved ones. Yeah. And I mean, the thing is, like you said, there is nothing redeeming. Like Clooney is 100% evil. There's no possibility for mercy or kindness um he's never going to do anything other than the worst thing that he can do like he kills his own men often just for to like make a point or like when his men get wounded he just kicks at them and runs away like just die just lay here and die i don't care about you anymore you don't have use to me anymore Um, but at the same time because we get all that perspective shifting with him we see how much he also cares about the way he's carrying out his plans and that he's kind of a brilliant tactician um and he also cares he is very smart yeah he's super smart he also cares a lot about his um army's morale and how he comes off to them like he's very conscious of what's going to make him look like a powerful and good leader even though he's not good so it comes down i don't think but i I struggle with the definition of that term and then i also just wonder about his overall 
motivation. Like it, it feels like he wants to be lauded, um, but only in like the most frightful way. Yeah. I think um, that it's all just about power for him. That's his goal. He wants to be powerful. And one way to be powerful is to live on after you're dead mm-hmm. by yeah, through being famous and, and yeah. Songs and like nightmares that, you know, parents tell to keep their kids from sneaking out. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I guess it's also confused, a little confusing to me because I don't understand, like, what his immediate practical goals are. Like, he wants to conquer the Abbey, and it seems like he's been traveling and conquering for many moons, but we don't see him interacting with his past conquered lands at all. Like, what are those places like, and are they a part of his, like, current domain? Like, is it Clooney Kingdom, or is it just, no, he's not, like, Clooney moves on and destroys things? And, then, and yeah. then move moves on, yeah. There's just a lot of consuming to be done at the Abbey, so for him it looks, because he's not a cultivator, like, he has no interest in, it's not like a Mongol-type deal where right. they, like, take over and like then Napoleon. change their, the structure so that it fits within mm-hmm. their empire. Like Clooney just wants to c- conquer, kill, eat, move. Yeah, I guess. And that's also strange because he, he does care about thinking through his tactics, but then he doesn't actually have any future plans for like some kind of infrastructure that he's going to set up. And the thing is when he conquers the Abbey, all he says to them is like, he says, you'll serve me. But then he also says like, I'm going to execute all of you. So it's kind of like, what is he going to, do with the population of the Abbey. Like, some will be his slaves, some he'll murder, and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess, yeah, I guess he doesn't want to, like, create any kind of No, he's not interested in creation. Yeah. Just consumption. He's just all about the entropy. Fans of So You Want to Be a Wizard will... uh, Oh, yeah, he's definitely an entropic force. Yeah, he's similar to the the big bad in that book. It's true. Um... Then we, in addition to Clooney, the other um, evil force in Redwall is Asmodeus, who is an adder. Um, And he operates on a very different mental level than Clooney. Um, He seems like he is more uh, id-driven, and he doesn't really think about what he's going to do. It just kind of kills, eats, sleeps, and wanders around the forest. And people just leave him alone. Like, there's no need for him to come up with any plans or anything because everyone is just so terrified of him that all he has to do is just, like, find people and then eat. And he also... That um, can poison people Mm -hmm. or he has hypnosis. Yeah. Well, and I mean, this is also interesting because he's the other villain and I'm also intrigued by him because I'm really curious about what his inner life is like. Uh, Because Asmodeus, he has carvings in his little cave that he lives in. He has decorations. He keeps the sword. He's into interior design. (sighs) Yeah, he likes that sword for some reason. And he whispers some of the most beautiful poetry that's in any some of intense the nihilistic book. stuff. Um so uh, he oh Sorry. so he is uh, still appealing in his own way, even though it is a huge relief when Matthias cuts yeah. his head off. You cussed. Oh it cuts that sneaky head off. <laughs> that was powerful. <laughs> 
and it just flops to the ground. That was one of the gruesome bits where I was like, yeah, it was yes, like flopped off. Yeah, do it. I actually at that part was pumping my fist in the air because <laughs> Matthias had this sword. Finally, yeah. this book spends. It's I checked. Book. It's past the three hundredth page Trying when to Matthias get that sword. gets the sword yeah. and finally mm-hmm. holds it up and it sings through him. Yeah, um, and yeah. I am concerned though that that snake is eating. Too much food for such a small snake. No, I know. I thought about that too. He had what multiple shrews in one day. That's also, not also realistic. Did that snake eat sparrows? Those are too big for the snake to eat. Um, is there ever? Does I guess the sparrows are not very big, the but still, that don't snake, like Asmodeus. The adder is small. It is six to yeah. ten inches long. It is it all? I thought it was longer. No, I thought that's I what thought you said. I thought it was said. two to three feet. I thought it was 24 to 30 inches. Math is not my strong suit. <laughs> Regardless. But yeah, they are small snakes. We it's think. not very big. We, If you're in the UK... I if you know you about adders, know more about and adders we're wrong, more of like tell a us. Common, uh, but snake when we looked it up, like they just don't seem very big, and I just think that it's eating too much. I know because you picture Asmodeus like a cobra or something. Well, I picture like him a like a python. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Just I know that size is relative, an but force. to me, like the owl and the cat were normal owl and cat sizes, and mm-hmm. I still thought just like about how frightening it would be for or like the badger. The badger is so big, like it's difficult for other creatures small mammals to deal with it so you know well you also mentioned something interesting uh, about um just going off of Asmodeus's size but like that's that snake is small enough that a badger should be able to just take it down even if it's poisonous like so but the thing is with Asmodeus uh you mentioned that they almost kind of deify him oh okay i feel like that's why they're so afraid Mm -hmm. they do just kind of consider him untouchable like a Mm -hmm. force of nature yeah and there actually isn't i was realizing this thinking last night um they live in an abbey they never once pray or have any kind of religious No, they have like a little speech. Uh, They like, quote unquote, pray before the uh, feast at the very beginning. They do. But 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 all they do is just say like, uh, thank these animals for giving their lives when they're talking about the fish for their food. Like it's a very... Don't mention God. It's a very um, earth-centric religion. I think that it's all just about like protecting the common good... The, the needs of their peoples and, mm. like, sustenance. And, like, I think it is very, like, it's like a sort of pagan, earth-centric yeah. religion, yeah. Yeah, and also just, you know, there is no God and Asmodeus is all Yeah, he's just left. the devil. <laughs> he ain't God. Asmodeus ain't God. You heard it here first. <laughs> hey, guys. So I'm really bummed to have to do this and make this interruption, but we had significant problems recording this episode and we actually already re-recorded most of it. And then today, GarageBand deleted half of the episode. Um, And I did everything possible to try to get it back, but it looks like GarageBand is just terrible software that literally no one should ever use. So I've learned my lesson and I will not be using it again in the future, but um, that leaves us with half of an episode. Madeline's out of town. I'm going out of town tonight. Um, And I really want to get this out to you guys uh, while 
my red wall fervor is high. Um, so I'm just going to try to, uh, give a tiny recap because we lost us actually doing all of our segments. So let's start with pretend food. I'm so bummed we lost pretend food because this book has the most fantastical and wonderful food that, you know, I I think I've experienced in a lot of fantasy literature and I'm pretty sure it's at least partly responsible for my complete pretend food obsession. Um, So a few points on food within the Redwall world. First of all, we mentioned this earlier, but I do think that the, you know, the mice at least are pescatarians, pescatarians, pescatarians. Um, they do eat fish, but they don't eat red meat or poultry as far as I can tell. And then they also shouldn't have dairy, which means that all the fine creams, cheeses, and milks that they're eating are actually vegan or maybe made from mouse milk, which is perplexing to think about and wouldn't fit into the human society structure that they occupy because we tend to not make cheese from human breast milk. Um, So that's really interesting, something to consider. And there's also a lot of fun discussion about this online um, that I casually saw when looking up Redwall cheese vegan the other day. One of my better Google searches for sure. Um, Another point they make that diet sound so delectable. And when you think about it, a lot of what they're eating is probably nut and root based. Um, that's since that's, you know, largely what the mice eat. Uh, but Brian Jacques makes it sound so incredible. Um, and the mice, when they're having their various feasts, um, I guess there's only one real big main feast in the book at the beginning since the rest of the book is battle mode. Um, but it just sounds like so much fun and the food sounds so good. The mice also make really good use of baked goods. Um, there are so many moments when they talk about quince pies, uh, which I don't, I don't think I've ever actually had a quince pie because it's not commonly baked in America and I've never been to the UK, um, but I'd love to try it someday because I think that I will enjoy it just as much as Basil the stag hair does. Um, Madeline also had a good comment that Basil throughout the book is, you know, seen as like a glutton. He's just consuming so much every time the mice provide food for him, but he's a hair. He is so much larger than the mice and just naturally he's not going to be able to, you know, get satiated off just one little mouse-sized pie. So I thought that was important to remember. And Basil shouldn't be shamed for the amount of food that he eats, although it's not really a sustainable thing for the mice to continue feeding him and caring for him. Um, Then the other... There are also other gross foods in the book that aren't just the pleasant ones that the mice eat in Redwall. Matthias has bird food when he's staying with the sparrows, or when he's their prisoner. Um, and there are there's a line that Dunwing went to prepare their food, um, and it's really funny to think about what that means because it's just basically a sparrow rubbing her wings in a pile of 
dead bugs. <laughs> um, but she does leave the worms and uh, dead flies off of Matthias's portion, for which he is grateful. Uh, but I appreciated the attention to the different kinds of foods that the different creatures eat. Um, the cat at the end gets a lot of page time to talk about the salads that he enjoys so much because <laughs> he's given up red meat. We're both a little bit worried about him because that's not a sustainable diet for a cat. Um, Although, I don't know, are there cats out there who have tried it? If you're a vegetarian cat or a pescatarian cat, definitely get in touch and let us know. There's also just such veneration paid to fish, since fish are essentially their grand roasts. Um, you know, they're Christmas beasts. And Matthias's character is established by the amazing fish that he catches. I really appreciated that. Then we also need to quickly cover badass lady meter. We, I alone, Grace. As we mentioned earlier, there are not as many female characters, I would say, as male in the book, although the female warriors do get a lot of focus. Notably, I don't think there are any women in Clooney's army, as far as I can tell, which is interesting. I'm not totally sure what that means. It seems like rats are entirely male in at least this book. Aside from Constance, who we already discussed, who is the badass lady of the book, um, there's Jess Squirrel, who is incredibly daring and talented and whose husband actually stays at home caring for their son um, while Jess carries out different tasks for the good of Redwall and to help them win the the war against Clooney. Um, so we appreciated that. There are also Warbeak and Dunwing. Warbeak goes on to become the queen of the sparrows. Um, so she's in a position of power at the end, which is totally awesome. Takes over for the Mad King after he dies. Dunwing is super courageous when she helps Mart Matthias, <laughs> when she helps Matthias escape and helps him get the sword and kind of return the rightful order to things and to their little kingdom. Um, then outside of that, there is Sila the the fox, um, who, as we've as we've discussed, is humorously maligned by the narrator. I mean, she's just so clearly awful and just a kind of perfect example of a trickster. Then what Madeline and I alluded to earlier um, with Cornflower was that we had a problem with her since she felt like a device that was created just to serve as a romantic interest for Matthias. Uh, we really don't ever learn much about what she wants or what she's interested in doing. Uh, clearly, she, she, she cooks for everyone. She serves food to all the warriors throughout the battle. Um, she plays a vital role in keeping things going. And she also has a battle moment when she burns down the siege tower that Clooney's trying to cross over into the Abbey from. Um, but the book takes pains to, or the narrative takes pains to establish that as an accident. Um, like there are a few lines about, you know, okay, she just did it on instinct, like without thinking. Um, I'm paraphrasing, obviously. But that kind of took away some of her agency. And it was really upsetting that in the final moments of the book, before the epilogue, when the abbot is dying, he just kind of makes her Matthias's wife based on seeing an attraction between the two of them over time. In that moment, we see that Cornflower is happy with this and that that's kind of when we learn for the first time that she really is 
into Matthias. I mean, we see that she likes him throughout the book, but it's hard to say whether she's ready to just settle down with him. But the thing is, Cornflower is sexualized nonstop throughout the book. I think just in almost every scene she's in, someone comments on how attractive she is and what a good wife she'll make. And so it just really feels like she's forced into that role. And we, you know, maybe it's something that she wants, which is totally fine, but we never really hear much from her on that matter. And for a book that has so many different perspectives and gives room to so many different characters, it just struck us as odd that the one who is the romantic interest of the protagonist doesn't get that same opportunity. Um, so that made us pretty uncomfortable. You know, we just worry about court plot. We just want to make sure she's happy. And we know that I, I think there are some liberties taken with time and how long a mouse would spend in a relationship because their lifespans are so much shorter than humans. So we can't really translate one directly to the other. Um, but it all just still seemed like it happened real fast. So we did give Constance a rating as the lead badass lady of the book. And it was all the moons in our solar system so that she can best do whatever it is that badgers do with that information. I don't think we ever got totally clear on that. It's related to their mating habits, but we're not trying to say Constance needs a mate. So do with that piece of information what you will. And I'm just going to have to close this out myself because we lost the ending. Um, so I will say thank you so much for listening. I'm really sorry about the disjointed nature of this episode. Um, our Black Cauldron movie recap, our last little mini episode that we put out before this also had some sound issues, which is part of what we struggled with in this one. But we've got everything figured out now. And my closing course will just be don't use GarageBand to record your podcast. Also, we'd love to hear from you. Let us know if there are any books you would like us to cover. You can get in touch by sending us an email at dragonbabiespodcast at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you, and we appreciate the support. I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. Until next time. <laughs>